coming to you live from inside the globe, perched high atop the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent, your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Cole Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I am Andrew Farmer. With me, as always, the Jedi Cole Houston. You out there, Cole? I am out here. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> don't know what that is, but I like it. Can you just do that I, one more yeah. time? Yeah, pew, pew, yeah. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Yeah, I feel that. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in a synth-pop 80s soundtrack right now. Yeah, it's my half-assed uh, video game oh, yeah, sound effect okay. library. Okay, it makes sense now. It makes I'm, sense I'm trying now. to be that Kind of like that guy from Police Academy. Yeah, you're no, Only you're, you're no Michael minimal, Winslow, dude. Minimal <laughs> range. Minimal <laughs> range. Can you do a helicopter? Please don't do a helicopter. <laughs> um, I can do a helicopter mob. You know, it's funny, Cole. We talked for, God, 341 issues. Every time we do a story arc, the fifth one we give up. <laughs> yeah, and, and with apologies, we have a guest this time, and and oh, we brought in apologies a to you because you are arriving at the end of an arc. Well, and, you know, uh, the, we did. We come in hot on number one, and this time it was techno. We had Catherine on there; it was great. We banged it out. The second one, we're sort of cresting that hill, and we're coming down yeah. the other side with Malibu. It was a it was a softball. Uh, we think we're done by the third one. So we're just phoning it in. I think we forget there's five to an arc. We do, every in time. most cases. And then the fourth one, we get scared because we realize we have one more to do. And then the fifth one, we just throw our hands up and bring somebody on like Weldon Adams. Weldon, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so we and have. Thank you for joining us in yes. spite of this being the final episode. Yeah. You're a brave man. You are a brave man. Uh, it's the fifth episode. No problem at all. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Just to give you ample warning, there was a story arc where the fifth issue of that story arc was about Martian Manhunter, and we talked about RoboCop for 45 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we have done some of the greats in, in um, you know, washing up against the lighthouse of the comic industry, these, these galleons of of entertainment that have crashed upon the rocky shoals, the siren song calling them to the shore. Um, that like great green siren. The, the great, great green, green siren. The great green siren calling them to the, the rocky, the rocky shoals. Um, and uh, tonight. Wasn't that your stage name in Poughkeepsie? I still dance under that name. That's yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's the one I'm still allowed to use legally. Yeah, Rocky Allegedly. Shoals is best known for doing an entire Rocky hour. Rocky Shoals is such a great name. <laughs> Isn't it? Rocky it is Shoals. not a bad name, yeah. It is not a bad name. Famous for doing the uh, a solo final scene of Dirty Dancing. I have had two Just over names. over and over. I, those <laughs> who know me know I've had two drag names in my, night, in my life legitimately that are on playbills. This will be third <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I think Rocky Shoals actually trumps Lance Sanchez, the Queen of Mexico. Hey, Lance Sanchez puts on a hell of a show. All right. Yes, he does. <laughs> Rocky Shoals sounds like uh, she should perform with Dashing Rocks. R R Rocky Shoals sounds like I'm a uh, 
a session guitar player in Louisiana. <laughs> That's what I think. There's a documentary on Hulu about me. I was on that Leon Rathbone album. That's which, which one? That Leon Rathbone album. <laughs> and 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 Weldon, welcome to the fifth episode of a story yeah. arc. <laughs> but tonight we talk to, to call back to. Uh, We've got me started. Yes. <laughs> to call back to Cole's uh, ridiculous video game noises from earlier, Cole, what are we talking about tonight? <laughs> well, we are, I don't even know where as I am. we said, the, the final issue of Declaration of Independence. We have talked about Techno Comics, Malibu Comics, Defiant Comics, and finally Comico, the Comico <laughs> Company. <laughs> so... 341 issues in, we're going to conclude with Acclaim Comics. That's Acclaim. Uh, the video game company of the, I guess, 90s who aspired to comic publishing. I, do, I feel like there's a little bit of techno in this. And, and, and you know, first, first of all, let's do this. Weldon, not only are you steeped like a, like a fine Earl Grey in the comic industry. And, and, <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, Earl Grey, a fine Earl Grey's opening fine for Rocky Scholl's Poughkeepsie last week. Um, you know, a, a genius um, man. Genius man. <laughs> I. This is why they don't let me name comic book characters anymore. That's Stan right. Me out of <laughs> what about genius man? Yeah, get out. Um, put a hyphen in it. It'll look fine. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Drop the E and put a hyphen in it. Um, get it to Kirby. <laughs> He'll do something. Why don't we get to do a Phil Collins comic? Genius the Spam. <laughs> Phil Collins <laughs> comic. God damn it. Now I have so many ideas. <laughs> now, <laughs> issue one of Phil Collins comics called Take a Look at Me Now. Um... Yeah. His, his his arch nemesis is is a three is a three headed Tiamat dragon called Susu Studio. Um, <laughs> oh God! There he is. I've got them all. Yeah. They just instantly wrote itself in my brain. Um, if, if this had been pitched back when Acclaim was still around, they'd still be around today. I'll tell you that right now. They're, uh, again, they would have at least published it. Yeah, that was true. Well, then, am I wrong? And, and this has nothing to do with the topic. Am I wrong in, in assuming that you're a bit of a, a, a music raconteur as well as comics? I, to a degree, yes. There was a... Uh, there, I, I, go ahead, I'm go sorry. Ahead. No, there was a great podcast just, um, called Song Exploder, and one day they were explaining about the certain time period and the certain producer, and I can't remember for the life of me of, of who it was, that made his made his charges when he was producing start their songs with the chorus and what a ballsy move that is. Um, just songs that start like with the chorus and then come around to the verse. Like initially, I feel like that's what this podcast is. At this point. That's right. <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I, I had the sense, the sense that you were a little bit of a music raconteur as well as a comics record. I have a bit of, of uh, disc jockey history in my past. Yes. Yeah, figure. So yeah, we can smell our. Yeah, own. worked for a couple of ra- worked for a couple of radio stations, and uh, so yeah, I, I've got a little yeah. bit of music background. I might have. A, I think I have a crush on Weldon. Um, <laughs> I have a man crush on Weldon now. Um, all right, so. I- 
<laughs> go ahead, be unflattered and horrified. I'm fine with that. Um, so you have a little. I don't bit have of- a uh, drag queen name, but I can tell you what my radio name was. Oh please! Oh yes. I wanted to be called Random Chance because I thought that was cool, and my radio <laughs> partner couldn't remember that. And so she said, and I'm here with, and she just got this horrified blank look on her face, and I realized she's forgotten my name, and the mic oh, is no. on. Crap. And she said, well done. And so that became my radio name, Two Words of Ice. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. That is great, though. That it just it, and it, I, <laughs> Go ahead. And I developed a tagline of my own, and my tagline is, Hi, I'm well done, and if you were in my shoes, you would be too. <laughs> oh, nice one. That's a sort of a happy accident, then. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, so not only were you a radio DJ at one point in your past, but you also worked for this comic company at some point. Am I wrong in assuming that? Uh, not at all. That is totally correct, and I came by it in a very unusual way. All right, so... I- we brought Weldon in because Weldon <laughs> is going to save us tonight. <laughs> um, because there's very little on acclaimed comics um, to speak of. So, uh, Cole, why don't you lead us in, and then we'll throw it to Weldon and let him explain what the experience. Oh, absolutely. Was. Yeah, well, of course. You know, we're we're concluding this arc where we have explored a lot of comic companies that I feel. You know, well, granted, they did go by the wayside, have gone by the wayside to such a degree that they're almost completely forgotten. And they're the publishers of the titles you find in quarter bins where they've given up and it's three for a quarter. And, uh, you know, I really want to the whole idea was to kind of breathe some life into these old uh publishers and uh, kind of explore the history of what went right and what went very wrong in many cases. Right, right. Um, just a little I've bit. I've got a question, though. Yes. I, I, I have a quick question. I'm dying to get to it. What is the title of the show? Because I have a title in mind that you could use as a subtitle for yours. Oh, sure. Absolutely. This is, of course, Declaration of Independence Critical Acclaim. Because I was there working the, uh, the title or the uh, name of the company into each title. So, yes. So what do you got, Weldon? The, uh, what my is subtitle it gonna be our, is our or the, valiantly yeah. seeking a claim. Oh, oh, nice man. That is good because What's that like really the, sums up the whole era. That's so that's true. What all about Madonna was in that, wasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, then you you you've uh, you've fleshed out the title to the length of the title that a show usually is for us. So I appreciate yeah, I'm, that. Yeah, I'm going to give it one of those Birdman titles with the or and then in parentheses. <laughs> there we go. All right. So, Weldon, you worked for a claim. Uh, take us yeah. into that, will you? Because I don't have much in right. my way of uh, by way of research for this. So, and here's why. Uh, Here's why. The Valley Universe started in 1991, but Valiant as a company started in 90. And the first books they actually published were, ironically enough because of their later history, video game-related books. They were publishing several different Nintendo-related products, including 
Captain N. And so that's where the company got started doing video game related material. And then Jim Shooter came along with this brilliant idea of licensing some of the old gold key characters and creating some new characters and building an actual universe out of it. And he, uh, with the help of Bob Layton and a few other really important key people, uh, built the Valiant Universe, and it took off like a freaking rocket. Uh, unfortunately, rockets have an arc to them. <laughs> <laughs> and there hit a point where the bottom started falling out, and the bottom started falling out through originally no fault of Valiant. Uh, it was a speculator boom that started the public tide turning against them. Oh, the speculator uh, boom was fed by a specific uh, industry news magazine that I won't name, and uh, also by retailers that were just marking everything up all willy-nilly. And, you know, people were buying like 50 copies a piece of every issue that came out. Every oh, issue. yes. In fact, the uh, that boom uh, was part of our very first story arc within our first five issues of the show. Uh, there was the, uh, uh, or one of the first arcs we did was comics, uh, comics, commerce, and the Almighty Buck, and the uh, issue was collection equals tuition, and mm-hmm. that has become a prevailing theme, especially any time we delve into the industry. Mm-hmm. It seems you can't delve deeply into the comic industry and not land in the middle of that boom. Yep, it was very influential and important. And our story today starts on the other end of the boom. Our story starts in about 1994. So from 90 to 94, that's your VH1, <laughs> 91 to 94, that's, that's the VH1 universe. Technically to 96, and here's why. In 94, that's when Voyager purchased the Valiant, wait, Voyager was Valiant. That's when Acclaim purchased Voyager. Acclaim Entertainment. Acclaim Entertainment was the video game company. Right. And at this point, the Valiant books were selling nowhere near what they used to be selling for. But they were still popular. And at the video game company, somebody said, hey, this (laughs) company ain't doing so good. We could buy it for a song and then just make video games based on the characters because then we don't have to pay creators and we own everything. So that was the idea. And they started working on a EXO game and they started working on a Turok game. I remember Turok. Yeah. And that was what started the whole deal. And so they start working on Turok and they're basing it off of the VH1 characters because those are the ones that still exist. Well, since they bought the company and they're trying to make games based on them, they are obligated to continue publishing the books uh, so that there's something out there for the people to say, see, it's based on a comic book. You can't really say, see, it's based on a canceled comic book that people didn't really care about. <laughs> You've got to – that don't work so well. So they had to keep publishing the books, and they had to keep flagging that and you know just trying to make it popular again. And one of the ways that uh, they came up with, um, they, they published those books from 94 to nearly 96, and then they, the books were dying off at that point. 
And one of the deals they came up with was to do a video game co-licensed with Marvel that teamed up Iron Man and Exo. Exo Oh, yes. Wow. And that game, that game idea was influential in what happens next because that game starred the Eric Dacia version of the Exo Man of War. And uh, somewhere in that book, and I don't have them myself to actually find it, there were two versions of the book. They're both number one issues. One of them is huh. Iron Man slash Exo, and the other one is Exo slash Iron Man. Oh, two, yeah, that was popular back then, or common back then. To yeah, come. and they're two separate but related stories. And in one of those stories, uh, there's a character named Rand Banyan. And Rand Banyan is wearing the Armorines armor in it. Oh, and the Armorines oh, are Armorines, a, yes. yeah, a very late addition to the VH1 universe. So uh, by this time, this new company that was running things, it's no longer the valiant people. It's all new editors, writers, creators, uh, you know, everything. They brought in Fabian Nicieza. Okay. You might remember okay. him co-creator of Deadpool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Fabian was basically the new Jim Shooter at this company. And uh, Fabian uh, and some others got together, and they had this idea of, hey, what if we just relaunched the whole damn deal? Everything. Start it all over. Instead of trying to keep pedaling this slowly dying car, what if we just jump out and jump in this new shiny one over here? <laughs> And so, in doing so, they started recreating and reinterpreting all these characters. Ugh. And one of the very first things they did was a new version of Exo. And that was the first new book that they published, was the new Exo number one. And so, the new Exo in the first issue was a guy named Rand Banyan, who worked for the military and was basically a soldier hired to wear this alien armor that they had found and just recently had figured out how to activate. Okay. And the, the scientist that had them activate it, his name was Donovan Wiley. And he's just like brainy, brainy science guy. <laughs> and uh, and then, not to give away a big spoiler here, but you got to know, Rand dies at the end of the first issue. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, they, they were really the throws. You know, yeah. Big, big, brawny, gung-ho uh, military guy, uh, he buys it hard. And the armor bonds with nerdy science guy. And so that's where the series goes. Makes You know, it's like sets it all up for you, and at the end of that first issue, sharp turn! <laughs> no, nothing is sacred, nothing is safe. You sure his name wasn't that stark? It was, yeah, see, it's, and that's one of the things that they caught a little bit of flack for. There were a lot of things that they did right, a whole lot. But there were a couple of things, and I don't want to say they were wrong, but they were just different enough that the fans didn't dig it. And I think one of the things really that people were upset about is that Erica Dacia was a very popular character, and it was such a unique idea from the VH1 universe. He was a Visigoth from the 7th 
century, I believe, that got captured by aliens and bonded with this exo-armor. And so he's a barbarian in basically Iron Man armor. And You're speaking my language now because I love love classic Valiant and I love the new series of Valiant that's based on the classic Valiant. So this is this right. is yeah now now I'm 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 listening hard now Weldon. Yeah, so that barbarian in a can thing, that was really unique. No one had ever done that. Conan in a can. Yeah, yeah, that's, cool. that's a really cool idea. With a lightsaber. Like, what if Conan the barbarian found Tony Stark's armor and they gave him a lightsaber? Because exactly. he ran yeah. around with like a lightsaber most of the I know. time. He, yeah, he had that energy sword that was really cool. So uh, when they reboot it, what do we get? We get a soldier in a power suit. Uh, that's not, you know, all that different. Oh, war machine, war machine. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, we're killing him, and we're going to replace him with a really smart guy in power armor. Oh, because that's different. You I mean, guys I don't are mean to be mean, but yeah, <laughs> it's like this is kind of traveled territory here, guys. The gimmick, though, was that he didn't want to be in the armor, and it bonded with him in a way that it wouldn't work for anyone else, and now he's stuck with it. And it's like, okay, that's kind of cool, but still, not quite what people wanted. And that was their first book. That's the one right out of the shoot, and it's like, ooh, you're so close, but it's not quite, (laughs) but it's new. People will give it a shot. You know, hang in there. It'll be okay. And then the next book that they came out with was, uh, God, I'm trying to remember what the second book was. Solar. Solar was pretty close in there, but well, uh, maybe it was because they did a Bloodshot, they did a Harbinger. Yeah, I think it was Bloodshot. Okay. Yeah, because Bloodshot yeah. did release with some fanfare, as I recall. Yeah, I think it was actually Bloodshot, uh, and. Uh, that one was was cool, very different yet again, because the original Bloodshot character, uh, he, he, I described the two series like this. The VH1 Bloodshot was like Star Trek Next Generation technology. Everything was smooth glass panels and shiny, and you hit a button and it just did a thing, and somebody did some hoopty do stuff, and and it all happened, and it was just beautiful. You know, everything just worked. The VH2 bloodshot was like Star Wars technology. It was kludgy and messy and everything was dirty. And (laughs) this version of bloodshot was more like what if Frankenstein was powered by nanites? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Essentially, when when the book starts up, he appears to be the reanimated body of a dead gangster. And he's, like, trying to put his past back together and figure out what's going on. And people are still trying to hunt him down and kill him again for some reason. And uh, he's got these these super science nanites in his body that are reanimating the tissue. And I do think that this was, in many ways, a better version of the character than the VH1 version. And the reason is they bothered to try and explain a few things more. Uh, the way the nanites work is they work at a molecular level. So if you get shot, they immediately will start like 
you know, white blood cells, they go to that area to staunch the bleeding, and then they start trying to knit the tissue back together. And somebody said, well, what if there's no tissue? Because, you know, you can't make nothing, something out of nothing. Yeah. And so they said, and they said, well, these work at the molecular level. They can make tissue out of anything. But the thing is, it works better if the tissue is closer to what you're already needing it to be. So, I mean, you can take a rock and stick it in a hole in your side, <laughs> and it will eventually fix it. But for a long time, you're going to have a rock in your side. Yeah. You know, it's going to take a while. You know, so... Uh, in one of the early issues, he gets gut shot real bad, and he like I, I think he hits like a refrigerator in a restaurant or something. You know, grabs a steak and it, like shoves it in. You know, and <laughs> so that's how he's patching himself up. It's already meat, kind of well, meat. You know, you know. So he should carry like a packet of Lunchables everywhere. I wish I could remember which issue is this, this one, but there, there's an issue where they they push the limit, I think, about as far as you could get away with. <laughs> he's in an alley, and he gets gut shot bad, and he's dying. And he's trying to get out of the alley, and he's looking around for something to use, and all he can find is a cat. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> a live cat. So oh, he no. grabs his alley cat. Good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> it was gruesome. Oh, the humanity. Yeah. It was gruesome. So, uh, yeah, at that point you're like, this is not how Bloodshot used to work. Yeah. yeah. He just, but it was a yeah, really cool character. And yeah. I got to admit, I think I like the, the VH2 version better. Salvaluto is doing the artwork. Gorgeous artwork. Um, yeah, it's a great little there you know okay so uh that brings us right up to the point where i enter oh here we go they yeah. Have, yeah they had only published two issues of exo they were about to come out with issue three they had published the first issue of something else and i think it was bloodshot if i'm remembering correctly i'm not sure and then they were coming out with their third title first issue of their new book because what they were doing was every month they were adding a title. So every single month you would get the next issue of the ones they've already released and a new number one of something completely new. And they did that for like the first eight months or however long it took to build the, the fable that they were going to go with. And uh, so that's where I came in. I had been working at Chessex Manufacturing in Berkeley, California, and I was the – R&D uh, and product development guy for them. Okay. And that job was going south. And, oh, uh, for those so unfamiliar, Weldon, uh, Chessex is a name that rings familiar to me, but I can't place it. Oh, I can. <laughs> Chessex was a uh, game, one of the largest game distribution companies in the United States, essentially everywhere west of the Rockies. And uh, they had several warehouses. And to uh, the way they got started was actually in manufacturing. And the owner, Don Rents, uh, started out manufacturing battle mats, and he had a paint line, and in that was the chest yeah, yeah, every so every final battle mat. Sixty percent of the dice that I own are Chessex dice. 
speckled dice, baby. Baby. Part of my job, part of my job was to design new speckled dice. No! No! Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. You're responsible for some of his dice. You are, I guarantee you, some of the dice I have in this house right now, Weldon designed what okay sorry go ahead if you bought if you bought any of the action dice samplers or any of the um what was another one we did the tropical paradise and uh and then there were a few others yeah i'm Um, i am positive but yeah the action dice was all me and and mark finn that was the two of us working together they still make ninja uh, so if you see any speckled dice, ninja dice out there, that's me. Holy cow. Okay. Anyways. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> that's another so topic am, for another so, show that I want to talk about. It's like yeah. you and Michael Price both <laughs> inevitably blow our minds. You just blew my you mind come on so the show. Okay. So I need, we need to talk about comics. Otherwise, I will dominate this show with just talking about dice. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, I am suddenly in need of another job and uh mark finn is my roommate in california he still works for chessex at this point and he was their editor at that time so we were like you know good good cop bad cop for them and uh (laughs) so uh i'm needing to find something to do and we're trying to figure out what to do and another good friend of mine brent Irwin, gives me a call and says hey we need to hire a sales rep at Acclaim Comics. Brent was one of the three sales reps they, they had at the time. There was uh, Jesse McCann and Brent and someone else whose name I can't remember right now. And uh, so they wanted to expand their sales force. And to do so, they were going to promote Brent to be the, the, uh, the manager of the sales force. And then they were going to hire about four more people. So there would be six of us in the field and Brent working from the home office in New York. Okay, that does confirm, and I had told Andy about this back when I thought it was a claim, you were, or uh, rather Valiant itself you were working for, but uh, you reminded me it was a claim. In one of the industry rags, I remember seeing an ad from a claim about their quote-unquote Magnificent Seven. <laughs> And you were one of the. And you were one of the those magnificent seven that were featured in the ad. I probably was, yes. <laughs> you may not have even been aware of it. But I this, don't remember this ad at all, but it doesn't oh surprise God, me. I can, I can see it. It's like this black and white photo of of seven val or uh, acclaim reps there. But uh, do please go on because I, I didn't want to say anything until I knew a hundred percent. And uh, so I'm glad that, that you probably. Did Especially since you don't recall it, that that there were in fact seven of you, so I, I'm not off the off the mark there. Yeah, yeah, there was Brent and six field guys, and that ad was probably the brainchild of Brent because he <laughs> is a, a very clever guy. So, um, big fan of Yul Brenner movies. <laughs> <laughs> in my version. So. Uh, I interview with them, and they decide to hire me, and uh, they want me to start working the Southwest Territory, which they have me in office in the Diamond Dallas Warehouse in Dallas, Texas, which is both good and bad because uh, that's where I'm from. And I would, you know, that's great, except I'm living in Berkeley at the time. So that's <laughs> kind of a problem. That's a hell and of a commute. 
yeah, I, you know, they need me to start like the next week. And I said, I'm still in Berkeley, guys. And so for the first couple of weeks I was with the company, I was actually working from my apartment in Berkeley. Oh, wow. And yeah, they had to like ship stuff to me. And uh, I was working with it and, and making calls and, and dealing with retailers. And then when I got ready to move home, I had to like move all that stuff back with me also. But Mark left Chessex at that time, and the two of us moved back home together. So we both got back to our respective places here in Texas. And uh, so they brought me in with the beginning of uh, the third month, and that was Ninjack number one. Okay. And what we were doing, um, one of the things that was really cool, DH1, uh, for retailer promotions, you may remember that they were very well known for their foil logos, special gold books, and all that. Oh, God, um, yes. At, yeah. So anytime there was like a key issue, a zero issue, or a one issue or something, there would be a very limited edition print run of that book with a slightly different cover. And in one case, in, in the case of Harbinger Zero, I believe it is, there is a red cover version, and then there's a blue cover version. And most of the time with the books, what they would do is they would just print the regular cover, but it would have a silver or gold foil embossed logo. And uh, these were highly prized and sought <laughs> by retailers. And you can't buy them. The only way you could get one of these books was that you had to promote the comics. You had to promote the Valiant books. And then somebody from the Valiant office, presumably your sales rep, would say, Atta boy, here's a book. Yeah. And then the retailer, the retailer, after they quit squeeing like a little girl, would put it in a bag and a board and mark it for like 50 to to $100. Right. So uh, it was a silly system that worked remarkably well. Because <laughs> it cost almost nothing more to print those books than the regular books. Yeah. It's a slight difference. The only thing is, you know, lower print runs going to have a slightly higher production cost also, but still, in the grand scheme of things, for what they were getting out of it, it was a Absolutely. freaking Well, your interior yeah. was identical, so it's, you know, yeah. you're just, the only cost that's being put up is the necessity of that different cover. Exactly, because the interiors, there's always an overprint. You do that on purpose anyway, in case there's some kind of a problem, error, or something like that. So these books are really made out of the overprint anyway. They just print a special cover and slap it on. <laughs> All right, so, brilliant. So with the VHC universe, though, no, nah, no, nah, we don't do that. No, nah, nah, we got something else in mind. Uh, what we got in mind, what we got in mind, and I got to admit, I see the logic of this. Uh, those books are only good once the other book is already out there somehow. It, it's hard to promote it if what you're doing is sending one book out every now and then. They wanted to produce something that we could flood everywhere and make sure every retailer gets one to see what's coming. So we made preview books. The preview books uh. for the first, the first few pages of the actual book that's coming. And they're in black and white. They're on a newsprint. They're made just like a regular comic book, but there's no actual cover. The front cover is just newsprint, black and white printing. And it usually had like a big stamp preview on it, you know, make sure, you know, trying to make, you know, yeah. special, you know. Uh, you would get these in your diamond retailer pack. 
So that's how we made sure everybody got them. And as a sales rep, part of my job was to use them the same way we had uh, the VH1 people had, which was do something cool. I'll send you a box of them. I'll send you a stack of them. You know, you want to have like, you know, acclaim hero day in your store. Cool. You know, I'll, I'll set you up. So that was one of my tools. Another one was that we made some pins. The old Valiant Universe, VH1 Universe logo was an eight-pointed starburst. Yes. And Yeah. So what they did was they divided the starburst horizontally into a top and bottom section. Okay. And they put what at first, look, if you put the two pins together, it looks almost like an X through the middle of it, which is kind of a subtle nod because XO's logo was a circle with an X in it. XO, get it? Ah, uh, uh, yes. And the, but when you broke these apart, the top makes a V and the bottom made an A for Valiant Acclaim. Oh. Yeah, it was really clever. And it was a really nice closing A pin. It was very well manufactured. It was a good pin. And so that was one of my other tools that I would use to uh, lure retailers uh, to the dark side of the world. <laughs> and then we also offered um, every single first issue of the first eight books that came out, the first wave of the universe, had an alternate version book. And it was a retailer incentive uh, alternate cover. And these alternate covers, I cannot remember who painted them, but every single one of them was a beautiful wraparound painting. And they had a little secret to them. It wasn't apparent until you got a, a few of them in your hands, but all of the covers ah. put together and would make a literal wall-sized poster. I remember those, yes. Yeah, they were cool. So uh, you could take the comic books and make like a good size poster, but they made poster size posters of each one for me to use as a retailer thing. And so you put those together and it was literally the size of the wall. Jeez. And I made one and put it up on the wall in the diamond uh, warehouse in Dallas where I was stationed. That's probably why I remember that one so well, because my yep. desk was not far from yours. Yeah. Now, and, uh, this is another that's why interesting everything thing. sticks out so much. This is another interesting thing in a, in a way that the VH2 management was really on the ball and knew what they were doing. Uh, this was back at a time when there was more than one actual comic distributor out there. And the distributor wars started. Oh, uh, yes. Publishing companies started signing up to be exclusive you know, sold only exclusively through Diamond Comics or sold only exclusively through Heroes World or whatever. And so... Or God then, forbid, Friendly Franks. Ouch. Yeah. So uh, Diamond was courting the Valiant Acclaim book. And so they're, they're talking to the Acclaim company and they're wanting to... Management there said, well, what are you going to give us to go exclusively? And they said, well, we'll... We'll guarantee you a full-page ad and previews every month for so many months. And, you know, we'll give you a double cover because they were doing, like, the back cover would be, like, basically an ad for the company. We'll give you so many free covers and all that. And so that was their pitch. And management at Acclaim 
flipped it over, and I can't remember who made the decision, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was Fabian. Cause let me tell you something. Fabian Nisiesa is a sharp, sharp guy. Yeah. And a hell of a nice, hell of a nice man. So, anyways, uh, somebody there said, oh, that's all nice, but uh, it's not what we want. What we want is our own sales reps. And they said, what? <laughs> and uh, they said, yeah, we're up against the biggest companies out there. And, uh, you know, we've, you know, we've got some old properties that people are familiar with, but these are new versions of them. Essentially, we're a company they don't know anything about. So, uh, yeah, we want dedicated sales reps on the phones to the retailers talking up our products. And uh, they reached an agreement that they would kick in half the salary for the sales rep. Really? Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah. I thought that that would be exactly so public domain. I, so I was technically an employee of both companies, although on the books I was a diamond employee, but half my salary was paid by the acclaim offices, and I reported to acclaim. Interesting. Yeah, so that's where all that came from. So there was some really, really sharp business decisions made. And uh, so they, now we're back to where I come on again with uh, that Ninjack number one that I've talked about and hinted about. And are you ready for it? Here it comes. Ninjack was a latecomer in the VH1 universe, but proved to be one of their most popular characters. He was a spy who was a ninja. <laughs> His name was Colin King. So he's like, white guy that is so yeah. fine with the martial arts. You British know, white guy ninja. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I wear a suit, but every now and then I break so, out this fold-up collapsible katana. Well, well yeah. uh, which, by the way, Cole and I have had long, in-depth discussions about Ninjax katana. Uh, we both agree it is rad. Um, I, guess, <laughs> um, I think the ultimate testament to how rad his katana is uh, we, you know, you mentioned like EXO having a lightsaber, and uh, in fact, the Rancor Pit Live is eventually going to do a lightsaber episode <laughs> about how lightsaber esque weapons appeared all over the place after Star Wars. And oh, yeah. one thing that uh, you know, bringing this one up, the uh, katana, what a great testament to that katana that it effectively appears in the Star Trek reboot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Sulu has the, uh, it, collapsible. Oh yeah, um, I did not ever put that together, but you're right. <laughs> My turn to blow your mind. All right. Do you, yeah. Do you have any feelings? Did you catch the uh, the Ninjak versus Valiant TV YouTube TV series that ends up that that you put it together? It's episodes, but you put it together. It's a two hour movie. Did you catch that at no. all? It's <laughs> It is like, you should check it out if you can find it. Uh, I think it's on, it was released, it was a web series that was released. Are you, oh no, did we lose Weldon? We can't, we can't go on without I'm him. Here. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm back. But they released it in um, like 10 minute increments and it's Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. And it's like Asylum Pictures for the Sci-Fi Channel level. Uh, special effects, but, um, yeah. but it's fun. If you, if you're interested, if you like Valiant, it's a fun book. It, it's got Exos in it, uh, Ninjax in mm -hmm. it, Blood, uh, Bloodshot is, uh, 
what's the guy's name? The Green Ranger who does all the conventions. Uh, John David Frank, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah he's in it. it just, right. just as an aside, it might be worth checking out. It's it's actually kind of super fun. And, and being a <laughs> being a super fan of Valiant that I am, it uh, it checked off some boxes for me. So just as cool. just as an aside. All right. So here well, you are, okay. Ninjack. Ninjack number one, the VH2 Ninjack. You know, hot dog. Here we go. I get the uh, black and white preview in at my apartment in Berkeley to check it out, and I open it up, and he's a kid. <laughs> yep, he's a kid. He's a kid. Okay, there is a long-standing and very trite thing in comic books that when you're going to kill off, replace, or reboot a character, there's really only about four ways to go. One of them is with the military asshole who replaces the previously nice guy. That's one way to go. Sure. The other way to go is to replace him with a black man. <laughs> The third way to go is to replace him with a woman, and the fourth way to go is to make him a kid. <laughs> so they Iron Maned him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just uh, and I was like, oh man, come on. And so here's the story: he's this kid that loves this video game called Ninja. Oh, it just no. came out. Oh God. It's, Loves this video game, but the game is known to be unbeatable, although the ever-reclusive creator of the game, who has never seen oh. but works in a headquarters... This hurts me. Uh, was it Steve Ditko? Yes, it should have been, yeah. Has said, the game is beatable. You just basically aren't good enough. Um. And uh, so the kid, guess what? Beats the game. Oh God, this hurts so bad. This is Ready Player One. That's all. That's what happens. That's what happens when you beat the game. Oh, you become Ninjack. You're in, you're inducted into the MI Seven or whatever they are. You get sucked into the game. No, well, no. And then you get spit back out as the character. As an adult. As yeah, he's, oh. he's like in his early twenties. Oh. And then he can, like, turn back into the kid eventually, he finds out. But, yeah, when he turns into Ninjack, there's, like, a noticeable difference between the two. God, I used to uh, open my mouth. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, you know, I wanted to like this, and I got to say, this is uh, not, not going to – and I got to sell this to people. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man, this is my first assignment. Man, I got to go out there and pitch this. I, I was I was With not with enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah, you have to actually pretend like you give a damn. Yeah, and I'm and I'm like, okay, your very first book, you didn't give them Conan in a can. The <laughs> second book, you changed up a lot of stuff. It was good, but you changed a lot of stuff. But it was good, you know. But your third book, one of your other most popular characters, and that's not gonna fly. They ain't gonna like that. Fans of the old Ninjack, they are not going to like this. I mean, basically, immediately, I recognized I have to find an all-new audience for this book. Yeah. I was not going to go out there and try and pitch this to, hey, did you like Ninjack? 
that word was never coming out of my mouth. I was not, that's not the way to go. You know, I was like, and we're doing one for younger readers. That oh, no. was my angle. Yeah, because that was like the best I could come up with was, you know, <sighs> I want to bring in a new audience. We're bringing in younger readers. Okay, here's the thing that I always thought was the most sad bit of irony about VH2 Ninja. VH2 Ninja was created as a new character by acclaimed comics owned by Acclaim Entertainment who purchased the old and dying VH1 universe so they could do what? Make, Make video, video yeah. games based on the characters. <laughs> and Ninjak gets these powers from playing a video game called Ninjak, <laughs> a game that did not exist and they never made. Yeah, that's that that's a ball drop what? right there. Yeah. And his arch nemesis were those uh, discarded ET cartridges. (laughs) (laughs) The Almagordo ET monster. Oh, man. I I don't mean to bag on Ninjak, but it was, man, it was not not my favorite book in the whole deal, that's for sure. Back, back. Was it anybody else's favorite book? Like when you were putting it out into the world, did it, was anybody like, "Yeah, we could sell this"? Rarely. <laughs> it was not one of the best sellers. It did better than some other books, but I think merely by the fact that it was the third book out of the shoot. Yeah. And if it had been at the, you know, any book in that slot would have done as well as Ninja. Okay. In my opinion, just because we were new and people were buying into the whole idea still. And, you know, I'm like, oh, man, so I, you know, I did my job. I did my job. I did what I could. You know, I'm calling people up. I'm calling people up that ordered eight copies, and I'm telling them, you know, if you order 10, uh, you get uh, 25 free posters. And they're like, oh, all right, I'll put me on for two more copies. <laughs> and you're calling back like, I got I was, two more copies of Nin- Ninjak Boy. And they're like, oh, yeah. thank God. Ninjak Boy! Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I was literally, I was literally nickel and diming everybody up. A few copies here and a few copies there. My territory covered physically almost fifty percent of the United States. And, and I, I honestly, I honestly remember overhearing conversations and calls that you yeah. were having to make, and I, I just, I felt like, my God. Talk about tilting at windmills sometimes. Yeah, there, I, there were days. It really felt yeah. bad for you sometimes. Uh, they encouraged us to send an email out to all of our retailers and let them know what was going on. And so I took it upon myself to develop this idea into a newsletter. So I started doing a, a weekly newsletter uh, that I would send out that would have late breaking news and information about, uh, you know, the creators and, you know, things like that. I was taking a, a heavy, heavy bit of, uh, uh, swipe at the old stand soapboxes. Nice. And, oh, yeah. and I, I tried to make it real folksy and make you, you know, you're part of the team, man. We're counting on you, baby, you know. And uh, I, I reached a lot of retailers that way, and I really connected with them. Uh, I had, as I said before, though, I'd been working uh, for Chessex, and I was a sales manager in the distribution arm to begin with. 
So I had a real leg up in that I already knew a large number of retailers in the Southwest, the exact same territory. So I, I had a connection established with a lot of people already. I'm just working at a new company now. And then with this newsletter and working for Acclaim, I contacted and established connections with a whole lot more. Um, and I, I love that job. And I got to say, I'm actually still in touch with many of those. So, uh, you know, shout out to Jen King and Space Cadets if she's listening and, uh, and Jeremy at King Comics and, uh, you know, I've made a lot of good friends doing that. Yeah, please, but, uh, please yeah, listen. If you're listening, yeah. please, please continue. Um, <laughs> we would love it. Um, Even on non-Weldon episodes. That's right. <laughs> We're all right. We do okay. Uh-huh. Um, so what happened to Acclaim? Like, what What was the thing? They had, they had a grand vision. I will say that. I believe that. I saw evidence of it. And Fabian is a really sharp guy. And I'm going to say it out loud again, he is an excellent boss. Uh, he treated us well, and he backed us up when we needed backing up, and he had good business insights. And to, well, currently, I'm super happy with my job. But there was a point where I had even told him, if you ever need me again, you send me a call, and I will drop and move wherever you need me. That's, that's awesome. not an offer I would have made to very many of my ex-bosses. I, and yeah. I love my ex-bosses, but, you know, dropping and moving is yeah. a big deal. I would have I would have done that for Fabian in a heartbeat because I enjoyed working for him that much. Um, but the vision that he had, I think what we ran into is a timing issue. Yep. Because he had an ace of his lead that I think could have saved the company, and we just – took too long to get there is the uh, ace something you can talk but, about or is that an off yeah. mic thing oh no i'm and all right i can talk about it i want to hear this um yeah we we were trying all of these different ways of promoting i've already talked about the pins and the posters and the previews and somebody came up with this new idea of a tchotchke that we can give away a giga a gimmick and it was really clever in the old vh1 they had valiant vision Valiant Vision was basically 3D, but it was a totally new and unique kind of 3D in that you didn't use the red lens, blue lens thing. You didn't have to look at a page that's out of register that you can't read without the glasses. This was a chromatic 3D effect. The glasses had clear lenses that just had like a a weird kind of lazy striated pattern in them. You know, just almost like a rainbow effect. But I actually remember those as well. Yeah. And the books that they worked with were literally just regular books. There was a way, a process that they used when laying out and coloring a book that is designed to work with these, but they would work with any book. And it was really a lot of fun to just like pick up Marvel and DC books and figure out which ones the glasses worked with best. Ah. It was really cool. Sounds cool. What they did was, that, and I don't understand the science of it. It's super science, Star Trek stuff to me. Uh, what they did was it would separate the visible spectrum and it would push. Let's see if I can remember how this works. It would push the uh, 
blue and purple end of the spectrum into the background and pull the red, orange, and yellow to the front. And so it basically made every color appear on its own pane in front of your eyes. Weird, huh? That is weird. That's, yeah, and that's freakish. Yeah. By this point, they had come out with a whole new creation of a book called Psylords. And the Psylords was a science fiction book about teams of space adventurers and explorers. And they all had different ranks and power. Some of them were like the, the warrior cast, and some of them were the engineer cast, and some of them were the scientist cast, that kind of thing. And they wore color-coded costumes. And so some of them had yellow costumes, some of them had red costumes. You get the idea. And so by cleverly positioning the characters in the panels, when you use the glasses, it would make it look 3D. That is cool. And, and the other book that it were, they did it with uh, to great effect um, was uh, Solar. So, okay. you know, this, yeah, this is all VH1, though. This is the old company. So now we're, we're in VH2, and apparently somebody was talking about Valiant Vision and trying to find a new, different way to do it. So what they came out with was Valiant Viewers. Valiant viewers were those little things you used to win at uh, the the uh, carnivals. It's a little plastic uh, thing, a keychain looking thing, with a hole in one end and a square. Oh uh, yes. Together. And you hold it up to a light, and you squint one eye, and you look in there, and there'll be like a little tiny picture of something. And long, long, long ago, those would originally be naked ladies. Yeah, baby. Uh, by the time. Yeah, uh, by the time that, that technology got down to my generation, it was strictly for kids, and it would be like Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, or like, oh, yeah. look, a moo cow. It's like yeah, how we used to exactly. use pins exclusively to turn to, to turn them upside down, and then the ladies' clothes would fall off, and then eventually we realized, hey, we can write with these. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was, yeah, that so, was a game changer. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that, you know, it's that exact same technology, but... Somebody had the bright idea of what if we make, like, I can't remember now if there were eight or 12 of them, but there was a, a finite number of these things. And each one of them has a glimpse into the future of a book. And they told the artist, we need you to do a drawing, get with the writer, find out where the story's going to go, skip several issues down the way, like way down the way. And we want something shocking. You know, not just, you know, oh, he's getting punched, you know. No, no. Uh, more like uh, bloodshot grabbing a cat type. Yeah, that level. Yeah, some, something, yeah. So what you end up with is um, I think one of them might have been exo, uh, a female putting on the exo armor, which turned out to happen. No, wait, no, that wasn't it. That was the old universe. I can't remember. There was one of them with exo. Uh, but anyway, the uh, Quantum and Woody uh, yes. were brand new characters that were created for the VH2 universe, and I think their Valiant viewer had them in each other's costume for some reason, which was very confusing. They went down um, the wrong bat poles. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like, okay, that's weird. Uh, and so everybody had like a shocking thing. There was there was one character that was oh, was, ooh, the bloodshot one. You're right, I remember. Uh, he's blowing his brains out, I believe. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, that'll, uh. Ooh. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. like, yeah. That's shocking. The one that was the big secret, though, was Ninjak. Ninjak! God damn, the Booker <laughs> King himself! Sorry. <laughs> so frustrating. But that's the big, important one. Oh, dang it. <laughs> the image shows Ninjak fighting Ninjak. <laughs> the original Ninjak? Uh, okay. The VH1 Ninjak. Not I'm finding a clone of myself, which is where you would have thought that would go. No, no, no. We're talking Ninjak of Two Worlds story. That okay. was the secret. At about the two-year mark, they were going to have their answer to Unity. But instead of uh... Unity, it was kind of the opposite of Unity. And they were going to connect the two universes. We were going to literally do the Ninjak of Two Worlds story. I think that was going to be the working title of it. And That's so, awesome. All of the VH1 universe characters that people had still wanted, they were still out there. They were just in this other dimension. We can touch on them anytime we want. Yeah. So, yeah. And I was like, that could save it. That could, that would be the thing. Because, you know, everybody wants Conan that's, and Ken. He's over there. That's, that's going to bridge the two generations as well. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I, 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 I like my ninjack to be a British spy. He's over there. You know? <laughs> How come you haven't published a book about Harbinger yet? They're all over there. And I really think that that could have saved it. The problem was it was planned at the two-year mark. And sales on all of the books started winding down at 18 months. Uh, yeah, we didn't quite get there. Uh, and, and I have to ask, yeah. during the period of decline or even – preceding it uh, as part of it perhaps was there a point where i seem to think that there was a second ad for their field reps that i believe there might have been it, it brought them down from a magnificent seven to a fantastic four yep as uh sales were going down so was the body count uh yeah People started getting laid off because of that. And yeah. it went from six to four to three. And I made the cut each time. And yeah, I, was, I, I seem to think that, that uh, in part of that storied history, uh, Weldon Adams was always there with us at the Dallas Warehouse. And that's uh, literally how you and I met. Yeah, through the inevitable proximity of, <clears throat> yeah, of, of, seven, of seven people working in one room. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's sad, but it, that, you know, it, a lot of what we've talked about in the last five issues have been through no fault of their own stories, you know, or yeah. or one not necessarily misstep, but one decision that by all accounts should have worked. That just mm -hmm. because of the timing and because the bubble was bursting, um, just just fell at exactly the wrong time, and it was unrecoverable. I, you know, there were there were books that we were publishing that were perfectly good books, and they would have done fine under other conditions. Right. Um, one of them one of them was Fabian's uh, baby, and it was called Troublemakers. Yes, Troublemakers. I remember Troublemakers. Yeah. Troublemakers was a book about four superpowered teens living in a high science uh, laboratory where their parents all worked, and the kids 
ended up with these crazy, crazy powers. <laughs> and it, you know, it's fairly straightforward and traditional, but it's also a perfect vehicle to tell some really good stories. And they not only told good stories, they started telling some really mature emotional stories. There was an issue about sex because one of the girls uh, was in her late teens and had a boyfriend. <laughs> and uh, so, so they, you know, they treated them like real kids. You know, we're not going to pretend this doesn't happen. Yeah, he's this hotty teenager. He's this uh, kid. There, things going to happen here. And if I remember so, the timing uh, that this uh, acclaim was coming of its own around the same time that uh, DC was uh, publishing or was the uh, the home of the uh, what is it uh, milestone imprint. Yeah, had a point yeah. where comics were willing to tell those kinds of stories because in um, Icon and Rocket, uh, she uh, gets becomes a teen mother effectively. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they took it a step further. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. they were the comics were maturing. People were realizing that no, I, I think people were finally realizing. You know, what, what was this ninety six ish? Yeah, ninety six yeah. to ninety. Well. Um, everything ground to a halt by 2000, but I think I was out by 98. Okay. So yeah, people were realizing that nobody was going to college on these books. Nobody was, nobody was, you know, paying their, their retirement on these books. You know, it allowed, if it did anything positive, it allowed for more, more non, I'm not going to say more non mainstream storytelling, but more, more character-based storytelling instead of bombast and, you know, and, you know, money grab. So you started getting really good stories in this time period for that reason. And a lot more chances were taken, I think, you know, if there's anything positive to come out of that, that bubble burst, I think that's what it was. And you were uh, talking about, you know, timing and everything. Um, One of the things that I think worked against Trump troublemakers was from the get-go, I, I firmly believed that what we should have done was look at what were the most popular books from the VH1 universe and lead with those. And we, we opened with EXO. It's a good opening. Uh, you know, and Ninjak was popular, but we changed it so much that it's, it's a different character. That, right. So that one shouldn't have counted. That one shouldn't have been there. Uh, we never did a Harbinger's book. Yeah. And that was, I mean, if not their most popular, one of the top three of the VH1 universe was the Harbingers. And we never did a regular Harbingers book. Uh, James Perham uh, pitched and sold them on an idea for a Harbingers special. And we did one prestige format, I think, but kind of an oversized special issue uh, that was Harbingers related. And that was that was it. And that should have been a regular series. And I brought it up in a couple of meetings. And essentially what I was told was it would compete with troublemakers. Okay. okay. And I thought, I think you're missing the whole thing here. <laughs> Which is people want harbingers. People don't know from troublemakers. Right. And I'm going to have to go out there and pitch from scratch about how cool this book is and you should try it or 
we could sell harbingers and they would order five times as much out of the chute. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was kind of a, a flaw. Um, the other thing that we did, uh, there were, there were a lot of new characters, quantum and Woody. I love uh, quantum and Woody. Rock- yeah. Yeah. Uh, got off to a rocky start because talk about a book. Nobody knows anything about. <laughs> and it's hard this to understand too. Idea. Yeah. Completely original. Did not go with anything else, no ties to anything, just a, a unique superhero book. Really, really unique book. Not to I mention like that it. I like that a lot. But, as we uh, speak it, behind me, off. in my studio, is a mint on card, The Goat. Yes. In the action figure. Oh! <laughs> it was a Do great you have book. have it in front of you right now? You, you uh, no, it's, it's, be, it's behind right? me, but I could... Uh, I can, uh, Swivel. Uh, yeah, I can swivel and, and pick that thing up. Do that for me because absolutely, I, I'll, I'll let you guys continue I, and uh, walk over here and grab this. I have a, I have a funny story about that. Oh, so well, who was that. writing Quantum and Woody? It wasn't Chris Priest at the time, was it? Who was yes, writing? It was, it was. okay. So yep. it, from, from Jump it's Street with you, it was yep. it was Priest. That was a great right. book. It was so yeah, funny. He created the characters. It yeah. was so funny and, and smart, and it was the lethal weapon of comics books, you know. It really was. It it was one of the best buddy book comics ever published. Uh, yeah. I'm, I love a good buddy book, and and this was like the anti-buddy book because they hated each yeah, other. Yeah, they had no desire to be That's in the same room together. Work. And you bound them together with their bands, and they could not get away yeah. from each God, it was such a great and funny. I don't know if I've yeah. – before or after read a book that made me laugh, you know, out loud while reading a comic as much as that book did. Just yeah. And and to this day, what's what's Priest writing now? He's writing something um, that he still uses the same the that same panel structure, and um and yeah. you know and it's just it 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 there it is pure nostalgia if you're a if you're a Quantum and Woody fan, like it's just so well done, like. Good show for Chris Priest. He's a he's a he's a good writer, just a good comic writer. All right. Yeah, have... and he did. Uh, oh, okay, um, I was just going to say he did uh, Black Panther for Marvel for a long yes. time, and you could see elements of Quantum and Woody in that. Even um, it's uh, Deathstroke okay. right now. Sorry, it's Deathstroke right now okay. that he's doing that, that. That is is in that same vein. Okay. Okay. So uh, for people that might be listening and not familiar with this book. Uh, the goat that he's talking about, uh, Woody, who refused to pick a superhero name. Woody was his real name. Uh, Woody was an asshole. Yes. And he loved to bother Quantum. Quantum wanted to be a superhero. He had the name, he had the costume, he had the powers. He wants to be a superhero. <laughs> Woody wouldn't wear the whole costume. He would wear like parts of it and put a jacket over the top of it. And he wouldn't wear a mask and he wouldn't use a, a a silly name, and uh, and he would just do stuff to mess with Quantum. And at one point, he adopted a goat because he said they needed an animal sidekick. Yes. And the the goat was a goat. It wasn't a special goat. It wasn't a magic goat. It <laughs> had no power. It was a freaking goat. It wasn't even a trained goat. It wouldn't come when you called it. It didn't even have a name. Uh, it would wander off. <laughs> so 
the goat was a complete liability to them. Uh, according and, uh, to the packaging, it it was Vincent Van Goat. <laughs> yes. He yes. eventually got a name. He also got a superhero name. Uh, ah. Yeah, I believe I believe Woody named him Vincent Van Goat in the book. But then we announced a contest to readers to come up with a name for the goat because Woody made him a costume. And the goat had a mask and a cape. Yes, indeed. And, uh, and somebody came up with the name Hayden, which is all caps and and uh, it's an acronym. And I forget what it stood for. But Oh, it's uh, right you know. here. Heavily armored espionage deli uber sheep. The uber there sheep. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a goat. So, uh, and, the, and the goat, like I said, has no powers. So <clears throat> in a meeting, uh, we, we used to have these weekly uh, teleconference calls with all the sales reps and some of the editors, Fabian, uh, you know, the, and Steve Marsarski, I believe his name, and, uh, you know, a bunch of the, the, you know, the powers that be at a coming comics. And in one of these meetings, Fabian tells us, that they've got a new thing they found, and I forget whose idea it was, but somebody came up with this bright idea of making a toy of the goat. And they've already <laughs> searched it out, and they're going to make uh, a figure of the goat. And it, it basically was a pre-made figure that they found through some vendor. And it's just a plastic farm animal goat. But, <laughs> I mean, the goat in the comic is the goat in the comic is just a goat, so it's it's perfect because the goat's goat to go, you know? Oh, yeah. And, you uh, can tell looking at it, the, it, the mask is merely painted on. It's not sculpted in. Is it just like a right? Shrek, like one of those, whatever they call them, uh, whatever that German company is that makes the animals? Oh, like Shaley or Yeah, uh, it's just a goat that they bought. Wild they found. Safari, yeah. It's like the yeah, battle cat, how they found it in a big yeah. gym thing. Yeah. And just, okay. Yeah, he's got and a so nice in the little meeting, cloth cape with a elastic band and they painted a blue mask on him and you're done this is great great. yeah so yeah that's all there is to it and in the meeting when they're talking about it there's a little confusion everybody's like what really okay (laughs) this is funny we didn't understand quite where we're going with this you know and and uh so, so one of the guys said so it's an action figure the first action figure we're doing is of the goat and the baby's well, it's not quite an action figure. It's a solid vinyl figure. <laughs> and we said, so th- there's no moving parts at all? And he said, no, there's not. And I laughed and said, so he's just like the goat in the comic. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. <laughs> and he had said, oh, that's good. We're going to put it on the packaging. And so he writes that down. <laughs> and I said, so... It's not an action figure then. He said, no. And I said, so it's an inaction figure. And he's like, that's good too. So if you'll look at the packaging, you'll oh, see yes. it, both. Uh, it, it goes on to uh, say the uh, the deadly uber sheep is yours with the incredibly detailed lifelike inaction figure. <laughs> fully inarticulated and non-posable. <laughs> Place the teleportation fold map in Vincent's mouth to create the illusion of interdimensional travel. <laughs> that is fantastic. Watch your friends stare in awe as Vincent goes absolutely nowhere. It's almost like being there. So how does it feel, Weldon, to have 
Cole holding <laughs> in his hand a crappy goat in a package with a with a mask painted on him that you had at least one tenth of a per, of, of of you know of one tenth percent of the of the advertising that's on the packaging for this thing that Cole picked up probably at a convention somewhere. Is that a weird is, is that a weird feeling for you to be that kind of uh oddly steeped in this kind of acclaim slash valiant like life forever because that's not going away that's there no 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 that's that is one of the tiny tiny feet print i have left on this planet <laughs> hoof print, <laughs> yeah, hoof print tiny, exactly. tiny ones yeah i, I kidder every time i see one of those things anywhere that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that was, oh, I, that no, was one that, of the funniest things we did. That is amazing because I I was not even aware of it, I don't believe. And, uh, you know, a posthumous shout out to uh, the folks at the uh, now defunct Lost Toys in Dallas. Uh, <laughs> I, I was there visiting one day and, uh, you know, probably buying stuff I didn't need to add to my collection of stuff I don't need. And as I'm walking out the door, the, the building they were in had this – sort of, you know, lobby area with a pass-through window. And they would often just put random stuff up there in the window for the hell of it. And I saw that damn thing. I'm like, oh, my God, how much is a goat? And they're like, oh, you could probably just have that. <laughs> I Honestly, I don't think they saw any. It was probably something out of a collection. Yeah. And they probably didn't see any hold, value hold in it. It was just something fun to put in the window. Hold on, Cole. Now yeah. how does it feel, Weldon, that he was just exactly. to yeah. take and, it And that's free. the icing on the cake right there. <laughs> Quality product. It's not like he went out of his way like on eBay and bought it for $50 because he had yeah. to have it. It is a piece of – no, it's like, go ahead and take that. We don't even – it's just real estate. out of yeah. purely yeah. random chance. And they're like, oh, please get that out of here. <laughs> All yeah. right. We – we need to wrap this up. So, yeah. Weldon, do you have any like uh, like final thoughts? It sounds like this was a, a pretty fond memory for you of you know the, the experience. It, it, it was. Uh, it, it was a, a real uh, roller coaster ride and a whole lot of fun. I worked with some fantastic people, uh, Val Rosso, and I hope I'm getting her last name right. Um, she was awesome and. Uh, I can't remember any of the other folks, but they, basically everybody that I dealt with was just top notch. And we were very dedicated and we loved what we did. And by God, we rode as hard and fast as we could. That's awesome. Uh, and I was proud of all of us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, we, we were, you know, the little engine that could as long as it could. Well, I mean, here's the thing is books like Quantum and Woody – you know, even even what was done with the mythology of the Valiant books, because I read, you know, I'm a I'm a big Valiant fan. And when it relaunched, I read they, they did a really smart thing on relaunch um, where they put everything on Amazon Prime. They were just like, you want to read our books? Cool. Do you have an Amazon Prime membership? Cool. Just read them all. So I went through and read everything. All the Harbingers, yeah. all the Exo, all the Eternal Warrior, all the you know, the and and all the um, uh, what's the uh oh dang it uh the uh Ray, um oh, you know, yeah, anything 
that I could get my hands on, I read. Right. And a lot of that H2 or V2, you know, that, that VH2 mythology paired with the mm-hmm. VH1 mythology is what ended up making those books so cool. Um, you know, they didn't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. They took some of the cooler ideas. They kept Quantum and Woody. You know, they, they, they right. really did a great thing. So you were involved in something that was, you know, not only the Chessex stuff, which, by the way, we, we will talk about. Uh, you're not off the hook for that, my friend. Um, I'm just going to sit with my list and be like, did you have anything to do with this set? And it's just going to be the number from the Chessex set. And you're going to be like, I don't know what that number is. And I'll be like, okay, what about this one? Um, the... I'm beginning to be dubious about your employment there. Yes. Yeah, so are you, can you show me your W2s? Um, the, uh, but, you know, this was a huge part, not only of like, you know, the, the original Valiant and then, the, and then this, which I read a lot of this from the acclaim stuff but also you know the the current stuff that i'm currently reading at 42 years old so without without sounding too weird thank you for your work on this because you know it sounds like you were part of a a fairly tight crucial team that that had a lot to do with my love of comics so i appreciate that man well it was our pleasure there was a there's an interesting thing you said you read them all but uh, i'm betting you didn't because there is there's a very interesting bit of history about acclaimed comics. Okay. Not the, not the VH2 universe and not the VH1 universe. Remember, acclaimed bought the uh, Voyager while they were still publishing VH1 for a couple of years. Right. But things were slowly dying out. So there's this weird little gap in the middle where they had to publish stuff, but they had not rebooted the universe yet. And the old universe was still there, but it was definitely dying. And uh, they had people that were under contract that, you know, we're going to have to pay them whether they do anything or not. We need them to do something. Right. And so to finish out some contracts, they started doing some really unusual stuff. Okay. And they did a line of noir crime comics. Really? It's a very brief line. There's only about four issues of any one title. Uh, but one of them that I really loved was called Grave Diggers. And it was a cold case book. So it was a story about this cold case department in a police department that was reopening files of uh, unsolved mysteries and trying to solve them. Wow. Dark, very, very noir, very uh, chiaroscuro art. Uh, really cool i i thought it was one of the best things they'd done up to that point and almost nobody knew anything about it i'm gonna have to find another one yeah another book was called armed and dangerous and then it seems like there was a third one in the crime series uh and then they published some really weird stuff uh (laughs) they published a book called punks p-u-n-x and it was uh keith giffen basically he told i remember that one yeah, it's like, uh, take three issues. Go for it. <laughs> it's just, just get wild. <laughs> yeah. Take it crazy. And, uh. Gonna get nuts? Yeah, Let's right. get nuts. Yeah, I'll show you nuts. <laughs> and then there was another series called Bad Eggs. And the huh. gimmick with Bad Eggs was that, uh, can't remember it completely, but it had something to do with some dinosaur eggs hatched and then 
it's basically DR and Clinch as dinosaurs. <laughs> really weird, weird stuff. I heard Cole's. Uh, uh, yeah. I heard Cole's ears perk up when you said dinosaur eggs. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, was... <laughs> yeah. you can you actually that hear is. the cartilage creaking. Okay, well now I have some new stuff to seek out. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Those are really hard to find, and they're kind of fun to uh, make a search for because you're going to be breaking your back going through quarter bins everywhere looking for them. I do so it now, so no, I might as well do this. Uh, Andy? The Grackle. The Grackle was the third oh, of the noir books. Yeah. Okay. So, Andy, uh, call Jellies in Honolulu. Yeah, I'm going to call I'm gonna call Jellies. I'll probably get their voicemail. They'll call back, though, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right. All right. From we need to past. wrap this up. We are we are a half hour over, but it was worth wow. every minute of that half hour. <laughs> Every every damn minute was worth it. And I, I, have, I have no regrets. This has been awesome. This is the only way that I can imagine this closing out. Um, God, that was good. Um, Weldon, thank you so much for coming on and closing this out with us. Like, that was astounding. Like, I so much. I learned so much about something that, that I thought I had at least passable knowledge on. <laughs> you've, you've, You've taken me to school. I appreciate it, man. Well, I have the advantage of being behind the curtain with the wizard. So <laughs> don't don't give our audience any ideas about like reptilian um, conspiracy <laughs> theories. There are weird enough as it is. They don't need any no. help there. Um, all right, Cole. First of all, Weldon, do you have any plugs? Is there anywhere you want people to find you or check you out or anything at all? Uh, I'm. Uh... Still working at Heritage Auctions, and you can check ha.com and find some amazing stuff there. You guys have the coolest so, stuff, yeah. too. Like, good right. night. Every day is a joy when I go to work. I tell people it's like I open a new toy box every day when I get to work. Man, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, all right, Cole. Why don't you give them ours? All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us here in Jedi Cole Universe at JediCole.com. And you can uh, always write to us at jcumail at yahoo.com. And please uh, look for myself and uh, the incomparable Eddie Medina every first and third Sunday of the month over at dallasonair.com for the Rantcore Pit Live from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Central. I'm sorry, 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central. Uh, and on the third Sunday of every month from the aforementioned 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. I can also see my relatively new show. It's a little over two years old now, Isle of Toys, A-I-S-L-E. And uh, that's been an amazing journey for the last couple of years, just talking toys with some amazing guests. And uh, we hope you can join us for those as well. Sounds like you need to have somebody on to talk about Chessex. I'm just saying. I think, yeah, you know, uh, Isle of Toys, uh IL thirty seven, roll the dice. You know, because you don't, you have no idea how. And I'm guessing Weldon does, but but I'm guess like those dice, especially the decommissioned dice here, like like the decommissioned sets, and the and the decommissioned, oh, yeah. like they are, people get buck wild for those <laughs> things, like as Mark wild Finn. as I've ever seen collectors about anything ever. So Mark Finn just recently hit me to the fact that there is a Facebook 
group dedicated to collecting out of print speckled mm-hmm. dice. Oh, very much so. I didn't know that. Oh, very much yeah. so. I we live with up. a collector of dice right now. And, <laughs> you know, I actually just, you know, what's funny is I just had this conversation with somebody I work with about our favorite sets of dice from when we started playing tabletop games. So we were literally mm-hmm. going back through like, like old catalogs that we could find on like online on like, you know, just wherever we could find imagery of like old catalogs and saying like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, I had that set. Oh, that set was awesome. <laughs> you know, like just like a day and a half ago, Weldon, like this is a huge piece of nostalgia. You have. Well, if you have any of the action dice or any of the planetary dice, those were all 100% me. I'm never going to sleep again. You've ruined me. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Um, You can also find us uh, on your socials at HK Comics Show. Uh, Buy, collect, enjoy your comics, especially Valiant. They 100%, whatever iteration, deserve it because. They're great comics, except for maybe Ninjak when he was a child. That's <laughs> what we learned today. Uh, do you have any parting words for us, Weldon? Um, I don't have any parting words today. I uh, I just really appreciate you guys having me on the show. It's I mean, you've given us so many parting words tonight. Like, I just know. so much awesome stuff. Thank you again so much for coming on. Um I had like three paragraphs of research and then Cole and I were going to have to make like Nick and fart jokes for an hour. So you <laughs> saved us, my friend. Not only us, but you saved our listeners. So. Yeah, from, from an hour of <laughs> Nick and fart jokes, which some of them really like and some of them believe in a, in a, uh, in a reptile, uh, reptilian conspiracy that runs the comic industry. So, um, <laughs> all right. Uh, say good night, gentlemen. Good night, everybody. Good night. everybody. Good night. Join us next week. When we actually talk about an idea that came from Jim Shooter, (laughs) be ready for that, baby. (laughs) 